Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So, the Olympics, Dave. Oh, is um, it the Olympics? It's the, <laughs> it is the Olympics. Now, look, I want, to just, I, want, I want to hit you with a fact that I only discovered yesterday. For oh, some go reason. On. Do you know the names of, I know he's not in this current Olympics, but, uh, but do you know the names of Usain Bolt's children? Oh, no, I don't, but I'm looking forward Usain to hearing. Usain Bolt, since the last Olympics, has had three children. Uh, one of them is a daughter whose name is Olympia Lightning Bolt. I, I, okay. know, I was, I was yeah. just about oh, to light, guess. I was, the second I, name. I was just about to guess in a facetious manner. Yeah. I said, surely they're not yeah, called well, Lightning. Well, hold your fire, because <laughs> it gets worse. I, I assume she's called Olympia, but her second name is Lightning. But his twin sons, right, one of them is called Saint Leo, and the other is called, and this is his first name, do you want to guess? Go on. Thunder. <laughs> That's his first name. Thunderbolt. Oh, dear God. So, can you I, imagine those happy uh, oh. days of school school ahead? How long will it be before he changes his name to Derek? Or yeah, well, Keith, Keith Richards' daughter changed her name from Dandelion to Angela, didn't she? She did. Um, she did. China, China, um, uh, Grace, yeah. Grace Slick. Was it was Grace Slick? Grace Slick and Paul Candace. I was called, child was called God, wasn't it? God, first sorry, God. And, uh, yeah, retreated to the more to conservative China. China, I think. You know, so oh, has well. Your Majesty Jackson ever changed his name? I don't uh, think he has. I mean, not not. Your Majesty probably goes to the kind of school where absolutely everybody's got a pop star father and a ridiculous name. God. You've got to admit that's sensational, don't you think? Thunderbolt. So, oh, my God. <laughs> you imagine? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry about my name. My father's an egomaniac. Yeah. I know. That's, that's the only I, possible explanation. I'm to make my life utterly miserable. Do you know what's trying me about the Olympics, which is something I've only had a very kind of glancing acquaintance with this time around, is that, do you know what's the, what's the key word for Olympics commentary nowadays? It's not speed. It's not strength. and it's, it's emotion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They say this all the time. There was lots of emotion on display. 
And what they when they talk about emotion, they're not talking about the full range of human emotions, you know, joy, jealousy, sadness, tension, whatever. They're talking about one thing or one thing only, which is the thing that gets all TV producers out of bed in the morning, but particularly TV sports producers out of bed in the morning. And that is the possibility that they might be able to elicit tears. Oh, entirely. Tears is what entirely what TV sports coverage is all about nowadays. Will people cry? Can we get people to cry? Can we put them in? Great television. It makes great television. It makes amazing television. And it makes great kind of media generally. You know, if you just, the word tears, the promise of tears telegraphs intense supercharged emotional moments, which are newsworthy, aren't they? You want to investigate. Absolutely. Keir Starmer cries when interviewed by Piers Morgan. I've got to spool through to that bit. You know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous because it, I suppose it's similar to the X Factor, which I note has, has finally been put out of its misery this week, hasn't it? It, it has. I mean, Carol says I'm not going to do it any, any longer. And, you know, that similarly is not about music. That's also about Tears. Completely. Yeah, tears, yeah, tears are not enough. Oh, yes, they are for television. Oh, are. Well, you won't have watched this, I'm sure, fine. but there's a programme called The Repair Shop. Have you heard of that? The Repair Shop is a programme yeah, where it's been going for a while and people used to kind of bring along broken Victorian chairs and get them kind of restored, you know. It's now changed to a system where it's all about that shot where the little toy, the little musical box that grandfather gave me 70 years ago has just been mended and plays its little tinkling tune. And then you get the close-up of the person weeping on here, which is understandable, but the whole thing is now engineered towards, that's the punchline. There's no tears, you feel shortchanged. It's really interesting, isn't it? About the only show on television that doesn't have tears is Antiques Roadshow, you know, so where people are told that they're... The heirloom that grandfather, great grandfather, carried through the Crimean War. Just look, they, they put on like, a brave face. <laughs> they're waving, uh, wearing like cartoon characters. They're, they're wearing a wavy line for a smile. <laughs> the wah, other, wah, wah. the other program that absolutely has to have tears is who do you think you are? The you know the oh yeah yeah, yeah. Algae thing. There is always something where somebody courageous looks great at, great grandmother and, and sort of it doesn't matter whether she's a great grandmother. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether she suffered through you know Buchenwald or whatever, or or had a bit of a tough time in in the West Road of Yorkshire. You know, there will always be some some opportunity for tears, and they will hold that shot long enough yeah. for somebody to cry because people being interviewed sort of know it's expected of they them. They do, they after do after a time, so they do it. But the Olympics, I, I, I mean, part of it is, and I kind of slightly sympathise with this. The Olympics is only every four years, or in this case, every five years, actually. And so it's not like football where you're playing twice a week. You know, this no, sure. is the event this that is you've your been chance. building up no, to. True, and true. can you imagine what it'd be like to get there and be kind of um, cancelled because you've been pinged because somebody in the camp had COVID or what? You know what I mean? I mean, it must be absolutely heartbreaking. No, but I, think, I think the real star has been Helen uh, Helen Glover, who's the, who was in the last, since the last Olympics, has had three children. She's the one who got, came fourth, didn't, couldn't get the bronze medal. No tears from her. Whereas right. now anybody else who wins 
throws themselves, hurls themselves, bawling onto the track, <laughs> and appears to be in some kind of agony. But actually, it's a it's a form of ecstasy, isn't it? So it's quite hard to quite hard to celebrate with them because they appear to be distraught. You know? Yeah, yeah, very very so, odd. Yeah. Well, the same thing applies with all sport nowadays, doesn't it? Whereas, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, if you go and look on YouTube, uh, 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 the, the the old clip of Jim Laker getting all the Australian wickets during that during that Test match in the fifties, and he kind of, you know, after he's got the final wicket, you know, the rest of the team just kind of walk up to him and just tap him lightly on the shoulder. That's the extent yeah. of yeah. the. Of the drama about it. Yeah, don't have to high five him in between the issues. <laughs> <one. laughs> doesn't have to not, get a knighthood. Not, <laughs> ne- not necessary at all. I know. Anyway, so uh, talking of great emotional occasions, is it 50 years ago and is it this very day? It's today. You're talking about Bangladesh. Today, we the concert are, for Bangladesh. The concert for Bangladesh was on a Sunday. Today. was on Sunday, August the 1st. Yeah. It 1971. Was. So it's extraordinary. So um, the war in Bangladesh had only started in March, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, and followed uh, the cyclone, didn't it? There was a, there was a cyclone where a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people killed, and then the refugees. The war had started, and all the various people were were, were leaving Bangladesh. And I think George was over producing a soundtrack album for Ravi Shankar. Ravi Shankar just convinced him that something ought to be done. Well, Ravi but Shankar you know was what? initially going to do a show, wasn't he? And George yeah. said, I- I'll, I'll, I'll do it with you. I'll so, help out. Bring along some of my heavy friends. At, at which point it stops being a Ravi Shankar recital at Carnegie yeah. Hall or whatever and starts becoming something bigger. Although something bigger than nobody had any experience of doing that kind no, of thing. You know, that's There's what never was... been anything like that before. I was reading some stuff about it yesterday, and what, what amazed me was, because, yes, yeah, you said, the, the, the number of obstacles that George Harrison had to overcome, and, and there was no precedent for it. I mean, firstly, there wasn't any email. All of that was done, well, like Bob Geldof, it was all done by the telephone, on the phone, 12 hours a day, ringing up all his mates. Paul McCartney refused to participate because Alan Klein was involved. Mm. Remember that? John Lennon said he would participate only if Yoko Ono could be on stage. At which point, George went quiet. George went quiet. And actually, I watched it on Sky Arts last night. Do you know what was on Sky Arts last night? No, it was the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus. Oh, right, okay. Have you ever seen it? Yes, go on. a bit in that where Yoko comes on. And you know it's it's Dirty Mac, yeah, you know, yeah. with uh, with, the, with Eric Clapton, yeah. and Eric Clapton. You know, he does her kind of ten minutes of wailing, and you just think that's what George would have seen. That's what George would have seen. <laughs> we do not need this at this concert. So that I mean, that was probably quite an easy one to sidestep. Then he had the problem with Eric Clapton, who wanted to come but was so addicted to heroin that he didn't think he was going to be well enough to play. And even when he did come, he had to be met with a big package of. Uh, of uh, of smack at the airport or something, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. I think. And oh, Jesse yeah. Ed Davis had been rehearsed as a kind of a, as a backup. Well, then Peter, Peter, the Peter, oh, Peter Frampton was brought in as the backup. Peter Frampton and, and Jesse Ed Davis, I think two of them. Uh, well, Just Jesse Ed Davis ended up playing. I think did Peter Frampton play? No, he didn't. End? No, he didn't. Okay. So you were on you're on the subs bench, Peter. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. required. Anyway, yeah. go on. And then he borrowed the stage that was already set up in Madison Square Garden from. Stephen Stills made some deal they'd carry on the stage and then never thanked Stephen Stills or asked him to play. So Stephen Stills turned up at the concert, spent the entire time rattling around in Ringo Starr's dressing room, drunk and just being belligerent. So that's not going to help, is it? The basic group, which I think was Leon Russell and Klaus Foreman and Ringo and Jim Keller, they came together fairly early. But the rest only arrived just before the concert. And even then, Ringo and Leon Russell, I think, and Billy Preston only arrived just before the rehearsals. So it was all hanging in the breeze, wasn't it? 
And Dylan went to the rehearsals, took one look at it and said, I'm not going to do this. Do you remember? He said, I, I think I've got a few things I have to do in New Jersey. I can't be there. And George Harrison was going, well, mate, you know, at least you've been out as a solo performer. I've been in a band. I've never been out on my own at the front. I'm not used to this. this isn't kind of my scene either. But, you know, you've got to help me out here. And then actually at the gig, he always claimed that he had a little set list written down. He said, after here comes the sun, it says, Bob, question mark. And when he looked into the wings, he, he wasn't had sure. no idea whether yeah. Bob Dylan was going to be there or he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And when he came on, it was fairly instantly a triumph. And they go back to the hotel that night, and Dylan goes, "This is fantastic. Let's do three shows." You know, well, they did so, two. They did two. They did so a matinee, didn't they? Fifty right, years yeah. ago today, they did one at two thirty in the afternoon, yeah. and then one at kind of seven thirty, eight o'clock in the evening, which yeah. is extraordinary to think. You know, you know, when people talk about these big shows nowadays, yeah, the idea that you do it twice in the day is is pretty remarkable. But the key thing about Bob Dylan at, at the concert for Bangladesh, as we've uh, remarked upon many times, two th two key things. One, blue denim jacket. Yep. He turned up in the blue denim jacket. Yeah. Which everybody said, he's back to folk. <laughs> and the other is he had the harmonica holder, you know, around, around his neck, you know, traditionally. So we, we've got Bob, the protesting Bob back. That's what everybody thought at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, he, did. What did he sing? Hard rains are gonna fall. That's uh, right. I, I, what else did he do? I can't remember. God, yeah. uh, forever young was it? Um, no, I don't. No, oh, I, I can't. No, I don't think it would be forever young. That'd yeah, be most later. of it's not for you. I don't know if that was used in the. Um, yeah. But yeah, they all thought it was the folk protest prophet yeah, back. Yeah, and uh, that was the picture, the picture of him, at the concert of Bangladesh, was used on the cover of what I think is still his best-selling record. It was. Which is Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits. Greatest Hits. Three or whatever, two yeah. or whatever, which came out in 1971. Because that was the other connection with Bob Dylan and Concept of Bangladesh is that Leon Russell had produced and played on his, his only recording of 1971, which was watching the river flow. So, Which is on that Greatest Hits record. It's on that Greatest Hits. That's, but the, that's the, the only LP track. it's on. Yeah. So, you know, he'd worked with Leon Russell. And Leon Russell was the kind of... He was the musical director, really, as much as anything else. Of course, in the middle of it, in the middle of it, <laughs> it's hilarious if you see it now. Uh, Leon Russell does his party piece, which is the Coasters song, Young Blood. That's right. That's which right. is all about an underage girl. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It is. All a bit of a laugh. You know what I mean? And I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if they'll cut that out when they're doing the remastered version of it. I, I don't know. But it was, and of course, we, we only really saw this in Britain, you know, the following year, I suppose, when the film came out, because it was only filmed by Miracle, wasn't it? They had three cameras or something like that. One of them didn't One work. One of them didn't work. <laughs> That's another of the problems. One of them didn't work. I know. You know, because. But can you imagine that show if Dylan hadn't been there? Because he's the kind of emotional core of it, don't you think? You know, and also he's the he's guy who really established. He's, he's the story. The, yeah. And he established that idea, the connection between pop music as a kind of political weapon that could bring about some mm. kind of change. You know, Hattie Carroll, Oxford Town, Emmett Till, and, you know, Hollis Brown, all those songs he'd written. And, and he, you know, he was the absolute heart and soul of it. And the other thing I think is it's sort of, to me, it seemed to be the beginning of that idea of 
not kind of nostalgia, but people realising the power of their greatest hits because he oh, just absolutely. goes and plays his most popular songs. Absolutely. He doesn't do anything idiotic like try and play something recent. No, no, it's no. all big songs. And be- before that, connection. before that, everybody had done basically our new, our the new, new album. album. The new album. So um, that, I think that was a major. No, major it was change. definitely, yeah. definitely, and it's still, the, it's still the template for all kind of uh, big fundraising, consciousness raising musical events. To this day, 50 years ago, this very day. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. People are often asking how they can help us. Three ways you can help us. Uh, one is if you're watching this on YouTube, if you, if that happens to be the case, uh, make sure you subscribe to this channel. If you're listening to it as a podcast, make sure you leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever. But all those things really help. And if you really want to help, you can become a supporter on Patreon and you find out how to do that. And there are many different levels at which you can do that. You go to patreon.com slash word in your ear and you can play your part in helping us do this very important work that we're uh, continue to be involved Work of on. national importance. Work of national unimportance, possibly. <laughs> um but we had a particular uh, pleasure in the last week uh, to to welcome Edgar Wright as our guest in Word of Your Attic, where he was showing us all his uh, all his old records that his mum and dad uh, we inherited from his mum and dad, and talking about his prized collection of uh, of KTEL compilations, Ronco but also Gronko compilations, uh, but also uh, talking about his new film about Sparks, the brothers Sparks, which just came out last week, and we saw last week, didn't we, Mark? And, oh, uh, uh, fantastic. Also, can I just say, what a fabulously affable geezer he is. It's, it's struck me we have this conversation afterwards that, that film directors have to be like that, don't they? They have to be personable and friendly. They have to be people, people, and charming. People. <laughs> and people, people, because that's what they do all day, is they're that's trying to sway a lot of people to do something that they want them to do that they might not necessarily yeah. want to do. And so it's yeah, all about absolutely. just being diplomatic, you know. He's an absolutely terrific guy. And I thought it was really interesting because neither you or I are particularly involved with Sparks, are we? I mean, I've just, I've, I've, you know, I've been aware of them all my life and I've listened to their records. I never felt any kind of emotional attachment to them. But mm. what a fantastic story. I mean... It's, it's extraordinary. Extraordinary story. I mean, they're, they're, they're together anyway, obviously, in life because they're brothers. But by the age of about 16, 17, in 66, they formed groups. And they're still in group a group together now, you know, and... The idea that those two guys have spent so much time, even now, they get to the studio, don't they, and work next door to each other, just literally sitting next to each other at their desks with their screens, writing songs. That kind of telepathy that they've developed is absolutely extraordinary. And also that there's never been a moment of enormous success that's overshadowed everything else. I think so that's a key thing. Yeah, so yeah, they, they, they've had their ups and downs. I mean, lots of ups and downs. They've been reinvented at least twice since a bit where they come back with Giorgio Moroder with a completely different sound. But because they've never had any great moment in the sun, you've got nothing to kind of compare it to. And uh, they've just kept going. 25 albums in 50 years. It is it's absolutely astonishing, isn't it? As somebody says near the end of the film, I mean, there's lots of talking heads in the film. There's lots of, you know, famous fans. Um but somebody makes the point later in the film, which I think is a really good point, that uh, the most groups have their kind of purple patch. Yeah. And, you know, they lead up to it and then they lead away from it. And they didn't really. They no. just kept going. And, uh, you know, they've had they've had periods when they've 
got in the charts and then periods when they didn't and then it, again but it, it's as if they it's as if one era of success had no connection with a later era of success. It's as if a bunch of different people came along and liked them for different reasons. Absolutely. Ten years later, you know what I mean? So it doesn't link up apart from the fact that it's happened to the same two guys. And I was very struck by the fact that um, somebody said that who toured with them, who was in their touring men, I think, in the late 70s when they were kind of glam rock sensations almost in in the UK with This Town Ain't Big Enough and so forth. they said that um, that after shows, Russell would, uh, you know, would meet the fans and me in the bar and so forth. Ron would just go straight to his room and just continue working on music. Yeah. And that's clearly been one of the main things all the way through, that there's never been a writer's block period or anything like that, has there? No, never. There's never been, never, nobody ever needed to go away and have some no, ideas. No, and they're completely They, they just like, had those ideas it. all the time. Yeah, yeah you and have. They, you know, very early, in their, when they're teenagers, I think uh, Russell's making kind of fake kind of pastiche French art movies on a little handheld camera, you know. They're just driven by this idea of kind of creativity, and I thought it was really, really impressive. Also, another thing uh, that struck me was the, the idea of the humour. I mean, they are really funny, you know, yeah, and there yeah. are lots of, there are lots of musicians who are really funny, but their music is not intrinsically funny. You know, the Beatles were were fantastic, fantastically humorous and uh, likable, uh, amusing characters. And apart from uh, you know my name, look up the number, they didn't do anything that was deliberately overtly funny. Whereas Sparks, you know, you know, there's a song that song I married myself. I'm very happy together. There's a song yeah. called uh, Throw Away and Get a New One. Uh, which is just like everything else in the world, time wreaks havoc on every girl. What to do? What do you do? What do you do? You throw away and get a new one. I mean, that can be obviously misunderstood, but that's a humorous song, you know. Yeah. And they they produced genuinely funny songs and were genuinely funny in interviews. You know, they're on these chat shows. You get clips on. There's one bit where, where their record company won't pay for a video. So they cut out a little cardboard screen of a TV and go on this chat show. And uh, and Russell sings the new song through this yeah, TV, yeah. cut out TV, just to kind of to get a kind of cheap video moment, you know. And they do all these kind of daft, daft, and they talk in characters and they, they just, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's just something really genuinely funny about it. And it made me think that there are, I think they're the most commercially successful, genuinely funny and humorous group that there's ever been. Because there are humorous bands, aren't there? You know, it's the Bonzos or whatever. Uh, but, but Weird, Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al Yankovic. But, but humor is a very divisive thing. You might like the music, but not yeah, necessarily like the humor. Two interesting things about about the film as a, as a kind of pop documentary. Um, it, there's two things that don't happen in the film that happen in 99% of pop documentaries. There is no one great central tragic moment. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no point at which somebody leaves or somebody dies or, or whatever. It, yeah. it, it, it simply doesn't happen. And the other thing, which at the time I thought, hmm, I feel a bit short-changed. And then I thought about it afterwards, and I think, no, it's fine, is you don't learn anything about their personal lives, do you? No, Not nothing at all. anything. You don't, you don't meet their significant others or no. see their children or grandchildren, or right? I don't know if they have them. You don't even or, know if they have any. There's tiny little bits of footage of them when they're kids um, from their quite posh background, winning kind of talent con- contests, dressed in pink tuxedos. 
being sports jocks at school to me and surfing. But no, you discovered nothing about them at all. It's completely... I'd be interested, right at the end, did you notice who the film's dedicated to? To their mum and dad, which oh. I thought was very sweet. Oh, that, that was the, sweet. the final bit. You know, the, that is guess, so sweet. Well, father died quite young, didn't he? And, you know, that... And, and, and the other thing, there's a wonderful clip of them. You can see them in an audience at a Beatles show. Oh, yeah, the, the camera pans around and there they the are. Music. That's right. Uh, was it in Las Vegas, that show? I can't yeah, remember. it was, the, I think. But anyway, um, Russell is talking about it. He said, our mother took us, drove us to Las Vegas in her, I can't remember what car it was, a knackered old car. So it wasn't easy. It was a long drive. She took the two of us. She waited for us. She took us back. That's a mom. I that's thought right. that's I know. Really they're still sweet thanking thing her to today. Absolutely. It's a very sweet thing to say. There's so, another yeah. nice point, I think, about them also looking like they 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 invented that template for the synthesizer duo. Because when you saw all the interviews of people like Vince Clark, he was saying, That's it, you know, there's 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 Ron, the kind of poker-faced kind of uh, utterly unexpressive keyboard player, and then the very flamboyant theatrical frontman. And, you know, you look at, uh, you know, Pet Shop Boys. And, Pet Shop uh, Boys, yeah. And you look at... Uh, Erasure. Yazoo Erasure, exactly. And you just think there's a lot of truth in that. Incredibly no, influential. Also, I never knew how they got their name. Did you know that? Did you know that? The, the, no, they, I they, didn't what know What were they that. called? Uh, half Nelson. Uh, half Nelson. Somebody said, no, look, you've got to need, need a new name. You know, what about the Sparks Brothers? It was the pun yeah. on the Marx Brothers, you know, which is, in fact, the name of this movie. And they didn't yeah. like them. They just thought, that, well, we'll just call it Sparks. You know, fair enough. I know. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I knew that. Also, I don't know the other thing, we'll, we'll throw this in for the benefit of anybody who's actually has got pictures on this and watch this. What's the connection between Sparks and this album that I'm holding up here, Mark? Tell everybody. Well, it's Miss Christine, isn't it, from the GTOs? Isn't that right? That is, that is Frank Zappa's Hot Rats. The woman on the cover yeah. of Frank Zappa's Hot, Hot Rats is Miss Christine from the GTOs. And she, she was the ghost. She was the girlfriend of Todd Rundgren and also, uh, later, Russell Mayall. 
Yeah. And so she was the two that she was the person who uh, who connected them with Todd Runger and who, who produced, produced their, their first, first album. Who kind of the without whom there would be no sparks. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Without yeah, whom there really would be, no, would be no sparks. Fantastic story. Really, a really, really good film. Particularly, obviously, if you're a Sparks fan, uh, but even if you're not. So, um, moving on. They, have you noticed the, the sad tale of Ryan Adams who's been making appeals, crying in the wilderness on uh, on Instagram? Uh, oh, I saw that. Yeah, I did. Uh, he's sort of saying, that, uh, you know, I'm, 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 my destiny is I'm going to be living in a basement in my sister's house. I can't make a living. But I mean, it's a complicated story, isn't it? I mean, it's a, well, it's a, I don't so really. I'm not. I'm not getting into the rights and wrongs of it. Here's the thing that interests me. You know, he was, he was clearly some kind of misconduct. You know, of a sexual nature. Yeah, there was whatever. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, and yeah, very. And I don't think it's ever been to court or anything like this. You know, but clearly there was some very bad behaviour, and uh, and he's been cast into the outer darkness to the extent that he can't get gigs. Well, obviously in the last year nobody's got gigs. Can't get a record deal. Probably can't get a publishing deal. I don't know. Here's my point that that I think is interesting: that there have always been scandals in the past in in show business, in popular music, or whatever. There's been there's been blacklists and so forth. Um, but there's usually been somebody who would hire you in some shape or form. But you can't, you can't do that. Thing. You can't do that. You simply can't do that. I mean, I thought exactly the same thing because you think of, you know, I don't know, Jerry Lee Lewis or something. Jerry you Lewis think of Larry, a 13-year-old girl while being well, married to two other women or whatever. I know. And and now, if you were to sign Ryan Adams, you would have the most humongous digital bricks it, thrown you through your him, window, it, wouldn't you? If you put him, put him on your TV show or, you know, or, uh, you know, Sign, you know, hired him to do one gig or something. Someone you, you, would engineer so that your it career was be worth, It wouldn't be worth the, the risk on anybody's it part, wouldn't. you know. So you can kind of you can you can see how he might be despairing, you know. But also, um, it made me think that some musicians, it's possible that I, it might be a lot of musicians actually. That's all they can really do, and I don't mean that disparaging because that's fantastic. But that's their skill. We've had this conversation on the podcast before. Steve Marriott, people like that. What else could they have done in life apart yeah, from be yeah. the people that yeah. they they eventually were? And and Ryan Adams is a good example of that, I think. You know, because he's faced with the idea of going off and trying to find some other form of employment. He's just thinking, I'm not, I'm not equipped to do anything else. So it's uh, Contra- contrast that with somebody else who's sadly been in the news this week. Dusty Hill, the the bass player from ZZ Top. Longest, uh, you know, longest unchanged lineup of popular music, wasn't it? We worked out. Yeah, it was. Day. They formed in '69, uh, didn't they? I think. Yeah, they, something like that. '69. No, um, well, he sadly died um, the other day, and uh, Dusty Hill did something remarkable in, I suppose, the late '70s. You know, so it's easy to talk kind of about two careers. You know, one's the kind of great Texas boogie band and going on tour with, you know, steers and rattlesnakes and, you know, taking, yeah, yeah, yeah. taking Texas yeah. on tour. And then their later reinvention of, as a kind of uh, MTV favourite cartoon dance band. But in between the two, uh, there was a bit of a hiatus where Frank Beard, who was the drummer, had, had a drink and drugs problem, really serious drink and drugs problem. So he took himself away to rehab, to, to clean up. And Billy Gibbons, who was the leader and the songwriter, uh, Billy Gibbons is a bit of a Renaissance man, and I think he did the grand tour of Europe, you know, to, 
see all the great galleries and, uh, and architectural mon monuments and so forth. Dusty Hill, not really that kind of guy, was, was back home in Houston and uh, thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do for the next year? And he got I'll a job, what, he? he? got a job at the airport because <laughs> that's, that's where all his mates worked. He got a job as a baggage handler at the airport. And I think points to Dusty Hill. So do I. That. That's absolutely And respect. points to Dusty Hill also because he's so identifiable. People would have yeah. seen him and thought, that's a member of ZZ Top, you know. And, uh, well, I think at that stage, I don't think the beards, that's probably maybe they pre beard a slightly pre-beard. That pre that, but I, yeah. I I think that's 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 a unique it story, is. isn't it? It is. You know, and the other unique thing about it is work. that he... His dying wish was that the guitar tech, his guitar tech, should take his position in the group. Mm. And that's 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 been agreed, isn't it? Which is Apparently quite interesting. So. A new yeah, development yeah. in rock business strategy. You recommend your replacement. And <laughs> yes. uh, really amazing. Anyway, Dusty Hill, respect. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. Okay, any other business where we're joined by Alex Gold, fresh from being a member of the Rolling Stones last night, weren't you? Yes, I you was. Played a, you played a wedding as the Rolling Stones, not a wedding, a party, a 60th it, party as the Rolling Stones. It was a 60th party, a joint 60th party that kind of wanted to be a festival. So it was a joint 60th party and it was set up. They rented a field, um, set up a huge like festival stage, um, got food trucks in. So you had a taco truck and a Lebanese food truck and a burger truck. The champagne bar, hail bales, hay, hail bales, hay bales to sit on. Um, it was bizarre. It was, it was clearly a bit of cash floating. Absolutely. Now you were saying you got a lift down with Ronnie Wood, so you are clearly playing Latter Day Rolling Stones. Does that include any Brian Jones Rolling Stones? Do yeah. You do so we, we did oh, a you quick... Does Ronnie whip off his Ronnie wig and put <laughs> on a blonde wig and? No, so, so normally no. what what happens is um, they'll do a set of early Stone stuff and they'll do a set of later Stone stuff and sort of merge Mick Taylor with Ronnie Wood. Um, right. But uh, this time it was a quick whip round through everything. So an hour set and we did a, you know, last time and, you know, um, all over now and all that kind of stuff and then went straight into, into the later stuff. But um, I, <coughs> I step in with this Rolling Stones tribute quite often and i've basically done the rounds with each member of the band the only person i haven't played is mick it's bit it's bizarre you, you've been each member of the I've rolling each oh, really of yeah 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 you've been charlie, do you have to charlie dress as them well. each time huh do you have to dress up as them each time yeah yeah well it's probably the same you know for me really because uh the, the only difference is the only different costume really is brian jones where i have to wear a blonde wig uh oh, and right. a stripy jumper stripy uh, jumper gotta have a stripy yeah, jumper yeah, gotta have, gotta have some uh, some cord hipster hipster trousers. That's what you need. Absolutely, but I discovered something really weird, and that's that um, you automatically you assume that because Keith Richards, well, you you feel like Keith Richards was drunk all the time, and uh, because his guitar riffs are not fast and they sound quite simple, it's really easy to play. But um, but the thing with Keith Richards is his riffs are not easy to play because all his feel was completely unique. He had a, a style yeah. that's really hard to nail down. And you sort of forget that Keith Richards actually played the guitar. You know, you, you kind of think of him as someone who just drank wine. And looked cool. That's so true. You just forget Held these the people guitar. are musicians. Yes. They yes. just become gigantic cartoon figures. Yeah. Waving a bottle of Jack Daniels and just yeah. talking like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Like the right. like the Stella Street uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. caricatures. Do you remember that? The corner shop. Have you seen shop? the date on these baked beans? That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's well past its sell by date. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. So okay, well that's uh, that's Alex as a member of the Rolling Stones. We've got, we've got some questions from people out there. Oh, alright. Uh, Joe says, "Why do we have World Cup songs but not Olympic Games songs?" Oh well, that's oh that's surely that's obvious because the Olympic Games is the United Kingdom, and the World Cup is England, Scotland. But we don't Ireland. we don't have England World Cup songs anymore, do we? I didn't, I didn't think we. Well, did. the tradition was that we did, but does anybody feel strongly enough about the United Kingdom? To, to have a song about the United Kingdom. Uh, I'm not sure they point. do. I no. think it's really, if it's England, it's it's kind of England versus Scotland or whatever. But isn't it quite hard to write a rousing chorus about around discus or swimming? Swimming. Yes. Have a verse about BMX and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Duncan wants to know what was the name of the Philip Glass album that I mentioned in the last episode. Um, the, the the it was Mishima. It was the soundtrack to the the film about about Mishima. Uh, Ian Martin says, "What do we do about missing B sides or remixes that get lopped off reissues and only exist in their old disintegrating format?" And I presume there he's talking about vinyl or you know singles and so forth. He says, "Isn't good stuff being lost?" I mean, I would. Can I just leap in and then respond? Yeah, yeah, go on. Because I think it'd be a good idea if stuff was lost. Because when stuff's lost, it becomes magical in a way that, you know, nowadays absolutely everything's available and available in the easiest possible way. And the more easily available it is, the less mystique it has. So what's wrong with going out and finding stuff? And it might take you years to track down the B-side or something. Wouldn't that be better if it did? What do you think? No, it would. Surely it would. Because it's just it would. The, 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 the effort put into discovery uh, means that you get enormous amount of pleasure out of it. Yeah, it's absolutely. Funny. If you, it's funny how you become, you know, if you just click on something and Google it, you so often can't even be bothered to hear it all the way through because this you, is it. It. you can go and see something it, else. Which but leads, a physical leads, object, yeah. Leads to the next question, actually, which comes from poppies from a tray says, can you ever have the same relationship with an album that you have only streamed or downloaded that you had with one you had as a physical product? Oh, that's interesting. Well, isn't that something to do with age as well, that you're saying, because I, I know exactly what he means, and the, 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 the fiercely close relationship I have with certain records is part of to do with the fact that I first heard them when I was 16 or 17, and they meant an enormous amount to me that were a soundtrack to my life. So that's a good question. Can you ever feel as strongly about something that you discover now? That you discovered when you well, were. Well, I, I don't think you can. I don't, know. I, don't, I don't think you can feel as strongly about something that is not a physical object that you can hold in your hand. It's, it's part of the I don't, think, yeah. you, I don't think you feel as strongly about a film because you don't hold it as your hand in your hand as you feel about a book because you hold it in your hand. Simple we, as that. We, there it is. Yeah. There's that thing. I can carry it around with me. I can take it somewhere. It's mine. And the way film, you listen to the it, film is not yours. You've gone to see it. And the, the little and window it, through which you enter it, the, the you know the the, the cover. I, I used to sit and, and and read parts of the sleeve notes at exactly the same moment during certain songs. I had a whole system for the way I, I, I kind of listened to that music, and uh, I don't know. You just it, 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 yeah, you develop an incredibly fierce bond, don't you? 
yeah. kind of designed to respond to things that we can touch. I mean, that's that's what I we are so. as human beings, and yeah. you can't do that with streaming. You know, um, you could, I think, you, you could obviously like something, but but, but it's not yours. Bond with it's it. not yours. Yeah, that's the thing. The, the thing about physically you can't. Global. You know, if you if you loved a record, a you owned it. That was the definition of your loving it. That you gone and expressed your love in, and you invested in whatever it. it was. You invested you know, money invested, and time in it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, a theatrical, a play will never be the same thing. A film will never be the same thing. A book can be. Um, you know, an art exhibition, you don't feel the same about that. But a record, you did because you owned it. And if you if you simply you rent it, which is effectively what you're doing in, in streaming. You can't feel the same way. You might like music. That, that's fine. Uh, Jack wants to know, will the live music scene ever recover to pre-COVID levels? Alex, you're our man out in the live scene. Yes. What do you think? Oh, you I think, think it will? will. Okay. okay. Yeah, there's a lot of pent-up demand. People want to see live music because they've been denied it for so long. And I don't think, I don't think streaming is going away anywhere anytime soon. I think that'll be added to the, the, the general pot of things that people can experience. But... Um, I don't think that people's desire to be in a room with an artist they love has diminished one iota during. In fact, I would say it's become stronger. Not even not even in a stadium. I don't think so. I think when it comes down to, I think when it comes down to the, the opportunity to be able to buy a ticket to see, you know, the Rolling Stones or you know whoever your favorite artist is. Yeah. Um. In in a big event scenario where there's ten thousand people celebrating your favorite song with you. I mean, who could turn that down, really? Mark Say wants to know, is there ever a point in a percussionist who isn't the drummer? I thought it's an interesting question. And Keith, on Twitter, actually, when I posted this last night, Keith Asley uh, responded, said, yes, there is a point. Ray Cooper is a prime example. Oh, fair enough. I, I was going to add, um, I think we talked about this before, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, the guy who played the triangle in Marvin Gaye's What's Going On is as important as any other musician on that uh, on, on that they, record. They got a guy in specifically to play the triangle. They didn't just get the job to do it. No, no, it's a triangle player. He, he, he died not long ago. I've forgotten his wow. name. Yeah, it's a really significant thing there. And actually, he used to play, you know, all the loads of classic Motown records from the 60s. What was the instru distinctive instrument on loads of those? It was the tambourine. Uh, again, because you could always hear the tambourine, it cut through everything, tambourine. and also it had that association with the church, which is clearly a huge part of the kind what of. What about Soul thing. Sacrifice by uh, by Santana at Woodstock? Can you imagine that without the percussionists? Because there are two percussionists yeah. as well as the drummer, so they're yeah. absolutely integral to the whole thing, aren't they? I think they are. And there was that great guy. There. Was it Victor, Victor Feldman, the great the British musician who ended up in, in Hollywood and uh, played on loads of Steely Dan records and so forth. And these are the guys they used to, you know, people would, uh, they were the first call percussion players. You know, they were really important what they what they added uh, to, to the sound. So I, I think we're saying, yes, there is a point. We are. For a percussionist uh, who, isn't, who isn't the drummer. And um, and uh, what else have we got here? Um, I'm whizzing through these. There's a question uh, about bands that you didn't like when you were young and you like now. I can't remember right, who from yeah, that. That was yeah, interesting. And, okay, go on. I have you got I, an example? Well, well, I suppose my only Fairport Convention, who I never kind of got, I kind of used up all my folk rock with Steel Eye Span uh, and right. Pentangle and completely overlooked them and now, of course, realise that they were far, far and away superior. 
and uh, and magnificent. And also Tom Petty. Tom Petty, I thought, was kind of smug and self-satisfied, and uh, and he became maybe he changed. You know, maybe I changed. He maybe just became you changed. Soulful, and, yeah. Uh, just later, Tom Petty's absolutely. Because I suppose that is the great point about music, isn't it? Isn't it generally that it that it, it uh, you you enjoy it when you you know it kind of comes to you when you're ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no point going to chase it. You know, it'll it'll happen to you one day. Yeah, yeah. One day you'll be at a stage of life or you'll just have heard your ears will be tuned a certain way. You'd hear something and you think, no, I, I get it now. And uh, there's no point going to chase it. You know, I, I, it's quite a few questions are always, you know, what should I be listening to and all that kind of stuff. And we all say the same thing. You should be listening to whatever you feel like listening yeah, to. Yeah, it's like Roxy music. I didn't like Roxy music at all because I was kind of very, I had this thing about pretension <clears throat> when I was that age, when that record came out. And uh, somebody made a really good point. I think it's Paul Morley on that Sparks movie we were talking about. He said that Bob Harris, they had them on old grey whistle yes. tests, which footage has been lost for some reason. I wonder what happened which to that. Is ama- that's amazing that, to me. Because I was thinking they Maybe must they show don't this, lo- it doesn't appear. They don't lose much. My God, what a thing to lose, because they had them on very, very early. And uh, and Paul Morley says something like, "Well, anything that Bob Harris said he didn't like was a massive endorsement for me." Well, you know, yeah. and I, I suppose I was probably more in the Bob Harris camp. Well, at it's, that it's time, inter- you know? so it's I was kind of thinking they're pretentious, you know. And Bob Bob uh, Bob only expressed his disapproval a couple of times. Actually, he did it with the New, New, New York, York Dolls, Dolls. <laughs> Bob <And>, uh, Rock. <laughs> yeah, I know. So um, Kevin Walsh says, "Have you read any good books this summer? I've got great recommendations from us." over the years i'm going to throw in two written by the same author actually kevin um one's one will be paperback one's probably still in hardback john preston has written two terrific um non-fiction books about great kind of british scandals i suppose the one is a, a very english scandal the one about jeremy thorpe from which the hugh grant drama was on, on which the hugh grant drama was based which was a fantastic TV program, but it's a better book. And he's subsequently written a book about Robert Maxwell, which I think is called Fall, and uh, which I heartily recommend both of those if you're looking for something to read on holiday. Anybody got a book they like to recommend similarly? God, well, not a recent one, but the one I always recommend for anybody going to a beach is Summer Lightning by P.G. Woodhouse. I'm sorry, can't, I just got to throw it in. You can't go wrong. possibly beat it. It's just gorgeous. The old crumbling country pile, uh, the, the, the the pig competition, uh, the staff. It's it's marvellous. It's fantastic. It goes well with cocktail. Uh, one book I always recommend to people, although it will make them weep, is... Uh, is the book thief, which is a, a, a fictional uh, story about uh, a friendship in wartime Leipzig, and um, kind of I suppose the war from the perspective of you know of, of, of regular German people who didn't right. want to be a part of it, and it's a beautiful the book thief. Book. Who's that by? Oh, no, I've never come I across that. The author is, you know, weirdly. All right, I'm sure I'm people can look at someone, it. but it's 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 really really good. But you will cry so, buckets. Guaranteed. All right, there you go. Like the book thief. Is good. The book Thief, Summer Lightning, and uh, and the John Preston book about Robert Maxwell. You can't go wrong with with any of them. Have we got anything to add this week? Have we got anything further to say? Uh, what else have we been doing? We've recorded a word in your attic with Robin Ince. I don't think that's gone up yet, has Not it? Just yet. It will be in the next day or so. It will be going up in the next day or so. We got Over the, the rice one we were talking about, which is Edgar Rice. Edgar Wright. Edgar Rice Burroughs. Edgar Rice Burroughs. Edgar Winter. 
Um, <laughs> the, uh, Edgar Broughton. Edgar, Edgar's in rock. That's a short list, isn't it? Edgar Winter, Edgar Broughton, um, Edgar Wright. We call him. We'll borrow him for this. Uh, we will the benefit of this uh, exercise. Can't think of any more. I so think much. that's the sum total of Edgar. That's the sum total of Edgar. It's not a very rock and roll name, is it? No. Um, and so also we've got coming up in the next few weeks. We're going to be talking to Eamon Ford about his fantastic book about uh, God. It's brilliant uh, about rock and roll after death, I suppose, and the kind of the wills and the estates and the afterlife and the exploitation of catalogues it, the whole world opens up it's an the opening chapter bri- alone brick like tome yeah the opening chapter about uh, what st- started the the whose death started the kind of nostalgia market oh, is God. really really extraordinary and that's the fifties. and if you know if you if you haven't made a will you'll read this book and the first thing you'll do is go off and make a will <laughs> because when you read what happened to prince Prince of the, you know, the estate of Prince after he didn't make a will. It's absolutely hair-raising. Anyway, we're going to be talking to him. Uh, we're going to be talking to Tony Fletcher coming up uh, in sometime in the next few weeks and lots of other stuff. And if you want to know more about it, go, uh, as I say, if you want to get involved uh, in supporting this, patreon.com slash word in your ear. We'll see you on the other side. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.